Well, I'd like to say welcome again to those in this room and to those joining us in the fellowship hall and through the broadcast. It's good for us to be able to study the word of God together. It's incredible to me that Jesus could just finish explaining to the disciples that they were on their way to Jerusalem where he would be handed over to his enemies and killed and then raised to life and that the next move would be for a mother to say, Jesus, can you do me a favor? Can you take my sons with you? <laughs> Give them the best place in your movement. When I picture this scene, I imagine an almost amused, kind of incredulous tone in Jesus' voice. Did you hear where I'm going? Are you sure you want the front row seats for your boys on the way to the cross? In some ways, this selective hearing is a real compliment because James and John really believe in Jesus. They believe that the world is going to follow him, will line up behind him because Jesus is the truth. And they want to be part of it. But they aren't seeing that the road to this new kingdom is going to lead through suffering and death. But Jesus knows these two men, whom he affectionately called the sons of thunder, which might tell you a little bit about their character. He knows them well enough to know that they're not hearing him. And what they're asking for and what his kingdom is are two very different things. See, sometimes it's a huge blessing when the Lord doesn't give us what we think we want. And in this story, we have 2,000 years advantage on these people. We know how this works out. We know that in a few short weeks, not one of those disciples are going to want the world to think that they're in the front row seats of this movement, including the sons of thunder. All the disciples will scatter in the garden. Peter in the courtyard will deny even knowing Jesus. That's where this is heading. And Jesus knows this, and he told them so. But still, when the disciples hear about this request from the sons of Zebedee, they are all indignant. So let's stop here a moment. Have you ever felt indignant, furious, angry about something that was done to you or done without you? Indignant is furious with a twinge of self-righteousness about it. Indignant is a certain type of anger. You only feel indignant about things that touch a deep-seated feeling that someone else has stepped over the line, trespassed into something that should be yours. It's an anger that's rooted in jealousy, defensiveness, and a sense of personal value. Indignant is an anger that has to do with feeling personally wronged. But were the disciples wronged here? Were these brothers wrong to ask Jesus for these positions that they thought they wanted? In hindsight, we can see that the disciples were wrong about really wanting what they thought they were asking for. Their actions showed that in the end. But did that mean that they were wrong to ask? No, I don't believe they were. I think they'd been listening to Jesus' teaching. In Luke 11, Jesus had encouraged us all to ask and seek and knock trusting that God is a loving father who gives good gifts to his children, who won't give us a snake if we ask for a fish. They'd been listening to Jesus teach his parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18, encouraging us to pray and never give up, trusting God for what we need. I think James and John knew that this would be very unpopular, a move on their part, which is probably why they got their poor mother to ask for them. 
But they believed in Jesus, and they wanted to be with him. They cared enough about this to be bold, to ask and to risk the consequences. And I think this story brings up several really important things about our relationship with the Lord. And the first thing I think we need to see in it is that it is always okay to ask. And I think that's so important. Because if we think that it's up to us to discern what we can ask God for and what we can't, we would never dare to pray. We'd always be afraid that we're asking for something that we shouldn't. But the truth is, if there's something that's on our hearts, God already knows that. And God always wants us to ask because when we bring it to him in prayer, then we're just opening up the subject for his holy input, for his guidance, his wisdom. We move from just us thinking about it to inviting him into it. Asking the Lord about the things on our hearts is not like submitting a wish list to Santa Claus. It's asking the one who is Lord of our eternity for his honest response to our desires. And when we bring those things to God, we trust that he knows what we need in our situation. And doing that, we need to know that his answer might be yes, it might be no, it might be wait. And honestly, that's something I find really comforting about this story. I'm so glad, I find it so comforting that Jesus doesn't give them what they ask for because he knows it wouldn't be for their best. Now, doesn't that tell you that you can trust him? That you can trust Jesus with anything that you bring to him? That when Jesus says no or wait, he has your best at heart? See, there have been some prayers in my life that I'm very glad that the Lord did not say yes to. But I'm never sorry that I asked. Because God already knew what was on my heart. And asking for his answer helps me to remember that he's with me and that he's for me. No matter what the situation, even if the answer is no. And the Psalms in the Bible are a great example of this. Because there are some terrible, vengeful things that the psalmists ask for in the psalms. You know what I mean? Have you ever been reading along in the psalms and suddenly you hit something that makes you go, ugh, somebody has rage issues. God, I sure hope you didn't answer that prayer. I believe that those raw prayers are in scripture to show us that we don't have to have it all together to pray. That we can bring our, bag, our mixed bag of motives full of good ones and bad ones as real as they are to God, and he will sort them out. But we must humble ourselves to his sorting. And in this wonderful story of Jesus and his disciples, we see the beauty of when Jesus says no. This text is an important one about the collision of the world's way with Jesus' way because Jesus is teaching us something pretty profound about how his kingdom works and what it means to trust him with our lives. Though James and John and their mother were not wrong to ask Jesus for what they want, they are asking for a status in a different kind of kingdom than the one that Jesus rules. They're just misinformed about the kingdom. And in this, Jesus doesn't single them out for rebuke. He simply recognizes that they're not the only ones who are missing the point of his kingdom. And he uses this as a teaching moment for all of his disciples. Because the other disciples feel indignant not because James and John have such bad kingdom theology. They're angry that they didn't think of it first. Because they all wanted 
what James and John thought they wanted because they were still operating with the assumption that Jesus' kingdom was like that of the world, that the ones at the top get the perks, the ones in the middle get lost in the shuffle, and the ones at the bottom get trampled. And they were indignant, they were angry, because at heart, they were afraid. What if I'm not at the top with Jesus? There's a jealousy at the center here that's rooted in the worst of human nature. A search for self-worth that finds itself by comparing oneself to others. Fear leads to anger, fight or flight. And the disciples end up fighting a lot about this issue. And it's really not surprising because it's just human nature. You can see it in kids who call shotgun to get the front seat of the car, or who call dibs on the first piece of cake, or the one with the most frosting. And you see it in every way we try to claim the best for ourselves before someone else can get it. That's as old as the fall in the garden, the power grab, reaching for the apple to be like God, to make us feel a little less helpless, a little more in control. Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. It's a way of living that comes from fear. Fear of not having enough. Fear of being overlooked. Fear of being powerless. But those fears are only for the kingdom of this world. Those fears won't exist in the eternal kingdom of God. John tells us there is no fear in love. In God's eternal presence, no one is overlooked. No one is powerless because each one of you is precious to the Lord. And when you know that, even now, you're set free from the power grab, set free to just live in that love. Living the power grab is the opposite of living in the assurance and peace of your value in Christ. In the book of James, James spells it out in chapter 4. He says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. That passage from James cuts right to the heart. That the cure of the panic to be better than others or find value in what you have is to turn away from both of those sources completely. And just look into the eyes of Jesus. Because the truth is, you don't need to be better than anyone. You don't need to have more than anyone. Because you are his, precious, priceless, forever. But it's no mystery that we forget that. Because the opposite message is being shoved at us 24 hours a day in our culture. We need to hear these words from James. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You see, the more we try to find life by fighting our way to the top of the pile of achieving, jealously comparing ourselves, trying to be better than others, we find ourselves farther and farther away from the way of Jesus, from true joy and true peace. 
But then James turns us back to see where that joy and peace really come from. He continues with verse 5. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Did you hear that? God jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. Pastor Steve talked about this a little last week, that the sweetest truth where we find our deepest security is knowing that God himself jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in you. Your spirit, the spirit that dwells in you is his greatest treasure. He wants you with him forever. Do you know that? You, not your achievement, not your successes, not your title, you. That place in his presence that James and John were coveting, Jesus died to open it up to you and to me. But it can't be earned, it can't be achieved in power over someone else, you can't get it by dibs. It's a place granted by God the Father to everyone who will receive Jesus' sacrifice for us in humble surrender. James goes on to say in verse 6, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Our God jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us. But our fighting, our power grabbing won't get us closer to him because that's not who he is. That's not where you find the spirit of God at work. Instead, Jesus showed us his kingdom. He showed us, if you want to be sitting on a throne, ruling at the top of the heap, you're going to be sitting alone because Jesus will be out there lifting up the people who need him. He's saying, if you want to be with me, come serve with me. Come love others with me because that's where you'll see me. When the disciples found themselves indignant at the brazen gall of the sons of thunder asking for these positions of greatness, Jesus called them together to teach them what true greatness is in his eyes. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's where the great ones of Jesus' kingdom are found, humbled before him. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Because the truth is, unless he lifts us up, we're not going anywhere. And Jesus modeled that kind of humility that he talked about. He said, greater love has no one than this, than to give one's life for a friend. And that's what Jesus has done for you. James and John, the sons of thunder, believed in Jesus. They believed that the world would follow him, would line up behind him because he is the truth. And they wanted to be part of it. But it took them a while to see the truth of this kingdom. What do it mean to live into the greatness of Jesus? But they saw greatness when their king, Jesus, knelt to wash the feet of his disciples. If you want to be great in his kingdom, forget the throne. 
pick up the towel. They saw greatness when he silently took the conviction of death for the sake of the people, when he gave up his right to be right in the eyes of the world. They saw greatness when he allowed himself to be nailed to the cross, to die a horrible, painful death in order to set us free for eternal life. Surrounded not by generals of power, but by common criminals. Those on his left and his right were not disciples, but those dying for crimes against the human race. And Jesus put himself in our sinful place in order to lift us up to share his redeemed life so that no one who desires his love will ever be out of his reach. That is greatness. Lord, give us hearts today to learn and to follow your way. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, you know us, and you know that we come to you with mixed motives, with good and bad, with prayers that we think we want answered, but Lord, we confess we don't always know what we need. We don't know what will bring true greatness in our lives, what will cause us to grow godly character, what will help the spirit that you have caused to dwell in us to find true connection with you. Lord, we confess far too often we compare ourselves to others. We're jealous of the things, the attention, the accolades of others, and we question our value, and we question your love. But we thank you that in the midst of all of those doubts, our brokenness, that you call us to be bold to pray, to bring our psalms, our prayers of request and lament and grief and hope and praise to you, and that you are faithful to sort them out. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that your kingdom is not like those of this world. That when the world's powers collided with your story, Jesus, you died to end that story in order to raise us to a life and a new one that finds its sweetness not in power but in love that outlasts the earth. And Lord, where we need to be bold to ask, help us to bring our truest hearts to you, trusting you to tell us yes or no or wait. We trust you to know what we truly need, Lord. And Lord, where we have been indignant, angry, jealous, fearful, we lay down our feelings of entitlement to you, remembering you alone are our defender. We remember that you jealously long for the spirit within us to be at your side. Help us let go of our petty jealousies and instead to pray for each other and lift up one another and find power and peace in your unique love for each one of us. And Lord, when we forget what greatness is, when we spend ourselves and our energy and our time and our resources trying to frantically climb toward what this limited world calls success, for our own sake, Lord, redirect us. Draw us back to you. Help us to remember the greatness you show us and follow in your footsteps. Help us to stop wasting time and energy striving for the throne and help us instead to pick up the towel and walk this life by your side, loving you and loving our neighbor until we know life in your kingdom. We thank you, Jesus, that you are like no king this world has ever known. We thank you that you are our king. And cover us today by your great name. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.